G'day everyone, I'm your host Stephen and welcome everyone to the Bamboo History Podcast. Are you all excited for another episode? Well, I'm really pumped for this one because this will be my first two-part series. My goal is to not drag my episodes too long because I know all of you have got stuff to do in your day or night. So for episodes with lots of content, I'll be splitting them into parts. Once again, thanks to all my existing listeners who have been tuning in. I really appreciate your continued support, and without all of you, I'd be crying in sadness in a ditch somewhere. To all my new listeners, I'm a Chinese-Australian that will try and explain 3,000 plus years of Chinese history in a podcast, where I'll share stories of events, traditions, and intrigues that happened in China back in the day. Whilst I'm focusing on Chinese history, my plan is to also do episodes featuring China's neighbouring regions and countries in the future as well. Before we begin, I'd like to remind everyone to subscribe to my podcast and to also follow my Instagram at Bamboo History Podcast, where I post additional content too small to put in a podcast. Alright, now that we got that out of the way, let's get straight into it. I'm going to tell you a story of China's bloodiest civil war caused by a person who created a Chinese version of Christianity and called himself God's second son and Jesus' brother. Hmm. Today, I will focus on this person and how he was marginalized based on his ethnicity, deemed a failure and oppressed in the society that he was in. So much so that with a voice from God, he decided the best way to change things was to start a rebellion. A rebellion that would cost the lives of 30 million people. Yep, 30 million people. To give you a comparison, World War I had an estimated total of 40 million casualties, and that was a world war, whilst this rebellion was a civil war in one country. This is the story of the Taiping Rebellion, or in Chinese, the Taiping Tianguo Yundong. Huadu, spelled H-U-A-D-U, is a suburb in the outskirts of Guangzhou, a metropolis and the largest city in southern China. Guangzhou is the hub of Cantonese culture and it's a great place to go for tasty yum cha, barbecue pork on rice, and if you're lucky like me when I visited, fried ants with scrambled eggs. Mmm, delicious. During the 19th century, however, Huadu was a farming community, and it was here in the year 1814, Hong Xiu Quan, the person that would start this entire rebellion, was born. Hong Xiu Quan, spelt H-O-N-G-X-I-U, Q-U-A-N, was born into a Hakka Chinese family. The Hakka Chinese are a subgroup of Han Chinese people that migrated from northern China throughout various times in history, mainly to escape war and poverty, and settled in many parts of southern China, mainly in the places that are presently known as the Fujian, Guangdong and Guangxi provinces in China. When the Hakka Chinese migrated to these southern regions, there were already Han Chinese people living there, for example Cantonese and Fujianese people. And as a result, the Hakka Chinese were forced to live in the more undesirable places, 
which were usually out in the fringes of existing settlements, in the mountains or in rugged places where the land wasn't as fertile. This meant that many Hakka Chinese were isolated from the rest of society and were usually poor because they had the worst farmland. If you listened to my first episode on the Han Chinese, you would already know that whilst all Han Chinese are ethnically the same, there is still enough language and cultural differences within the Han Chinese that also separate them apart, creating subgroups such as the Hakka Chinese. This was the case of the Hakka Chinese and the existing Han Chinese locals, who really didn't get along with each other, creating conflict and animosity as the Hakka would compete with the local Han Chinese for land and jobs. The result would be that the Hakka Chinese, being the minority, would usually end up getting the worst end of the stick, and would constantly be marginalised and discriminated by the locals. In fact, do you want to know what the Chinese term for the Hakka people are? The Chinese term for the Hakka people in Mandarin is the Kejiaren, which means guest people. Yep, guest people. Forever guests on the land they live on. Forever the outsiders, never truly belonging there, no matter how long they've lived there. I am happy to say that as a Chinese Australian, I've never suffered much racism or discrimination, but there have been times where I felt that I'm not considered a real Australian, and I have experienced times where people seem surprised that I am from Australia and even ask me how that is how that's possible based on my looks. During those times, like the Hakka, I feel like I'm a guest in the country where I live as well. When Hong Xiuquan was born as a Hakka Chinese in the year 1814, things were even worse for them. During the 1800s, China was known as the Qing Dynasty, and they were ruled by the Manchu people, an ethnic group from China's northeast. As a result, the Han Chinese, including the Hakka, were subject to greater oppression from the ruling Manchus. One example I can think of is forcing Han Chinese men to shave their heads and wear pigtails, which was forced upon them, and if you didn't comply, you'd be executed. So to summarise, from the moment that he was born, Hong Xiuquan would have felt a strong sense of marginalisation and oppression from both the Han Chinese and the Manchu Qing Dynasty government, and probably never felt like he truly belonged anywhere. Hong Xiuquan's childhood, however, wasn't entirely gloom and doom. His family was successful as farmers, so he wasn't poor growing up but he was sick and tired of living on the farm and wanted to achieve bigger things in life. So he decided to take the Keju civil service examinations to try and get a government job. If you want to know more about the Keju exams, I talk about it in episode 6 of my podcast, so you can head over to episode 6 to learn more. As I said, because his family was fairly well off, they were able to support their son Hong Xiuquan's dream of getting a government job. And at first, he was doing well. He managed to pass the entry-level exams in his village and got a job as a teacher, teaching in his village. He was overjoyed because that meant not having to work in the fields all day and collecting cow poo and all that stuff. But after a while, our good little teacher, Mr. Hong, said to himself, "Ah, teaching is boring. This village is boring. I just want, I just want to work in the city, bro. Well, to do that, He had to travel to the nearest city of Guangzhou to do the higher level exam so he could get a job in the city. But this time, the test was harder, and he failed. Oh no. 
but he didn't give up, and his parents supported him, and he studied, and he waited three years for the next exam, and he did the exam, and he failed. Again! Hong Xiaochuan was not giving up though. Channeling his inner DJ Khaled, he was like, another one. And after three years, he did the test again, and failed, again. Wow, wow, wow. Three attempts. Three years between each attempts. Nine years down the drain. His parents were now going broke, supporting his dream. And I could imagine they were a bit angry and disappointed at their son now. He was devastated as well. So devastated that he suffered a nervous breakdown and began having funny dreams at night. One night, he had a dream that would change his life forever. In this particular dream, there was a heavenly-like figure, which resembled an elderly man with a golden beard. This elderly man said to Hong, This world is so messed up right now. Hong was like, Yeah, it is. This world sucks. All I want to do is pass my test, but I'm always failing. Why is the world against me? But the elderly man didn't seem to care what Hong had to say, because he replied, Hong, I don't care. Then he added, this world used to be so great, and how I wanted it to be. Now it's getting taken over by these evil demons. And thanks to these demons, everyone in this world is following them, except for me. The elderly man was angry with the world, and kept complaining about these evil demons. Eventually, he got out a sword and presented it to Hong Xiuquan, and said, My boy, this sword is for you to slay these demons with your older brother. Before Hong could react, he woke up, really confused. What was that about? The elderly man, the evil demons, the sword. And what was this mysterious older brother of his? Was that older dude my dad? No way. My dad's beard is black, not gold. Hmm. Hong Xiuquan thought that it may have been a hidden message, but he had no clue what it was. As time passed, he recovered from his mental breakdown and returned back to his teaching job, and he worked as a teacher for a few more years, but he always kept that dream in the back of his mind. Then, he decided to take the test again for the fourth time. Whoa, 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 wait, what? Again? Seriously? Is he that desperate for a job in the city, or does he really hate the kids that he teaches? So in the year 1843, he went back to Guangzhou to take the test for the fourth time, Say what you want about this guy, but I do admire his determination. So would he pass this time? After years and years of studying and experience from his failures, surely, surely fate would be kinder to him this time. Well, fate did not care at all because he failed. Again! I guess fourth time's not the charm. This time, Hong Xiuquan was truly defeated, angry, and frustrated at the system for not letting him move up in life, and he pretty much was dead on the inside. At least his cousin came over to his place and tried to cheer him up. And whilst they were catching up, his cousin noticed a book that Hong Xiuquan had on his shelf. The book was called Quan Shi Liang Yan, or in English, Good Words for Exhorting the Age. His cousin said to Hong, Hey cuz, what's this book? Oh, 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 this book's so dusty. It's like it's been left on the shelf for ages. 
When Hong Xiuquan saw the book, he replied, Ah, oh, yeah, some Christian missionary gave it to me years ago. And I had a flick through it, but I didn't really understand what was going on. All these foreign concepts and characters that I've never heard about. So yeah, I've just left it there. His cousin remarked, Well, maybe you should give this book another try and have a read. And could be useful, you never know. Hong Xiuquan thought, Ah, uh, what the heck? And decided to have a better read of this book. This time, he went through this Christian text in more depth, and then that dream he had years ago, the one with that elderly man and the golden beard, flooded back into his memory. A spark lit inside his brain, and he began to connect the dots. Hong began to think, Hmm, so this book is about an elderly man in the heavens called God. Wait, that means the man in my dream was God. And that older brother, and that older brother he was talking about, you know, that... So, so that was his son. It, yeah, the book says that was his son, that was Jesus. So if the elderly man was calling me as his boy, that means I am his son, which means that I am also Jesus' brother. Wow, okay, okay, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. That dream makes a lot of sense now to me. Yep, yes, listeners, Hong Xiuquan convinced himself that the dream he had was a message that he was Jesus' brother and God's second son, and that his mission was to save China by slaying all those evil demons that was poisoning the land. And who were these evil demons? As I mentioned earlier, China was being ruled by the Manchu people, an ethnic minority, and treated the majority Han and Hakka Chinese as second-class citizens. Hong Xiuquan believed that these evil demons were the ruling Manchus, and he blamed all of his failures as being oppression from the Manchus. He believed that he had finally found a reason for all his hate, for growing up on the fringes of society, from failing all those tests, and he realised that the dream was telling him to do something about it. He decided to follow what the Quan Shi Liang Yan, that dusty old book, was preaching, and converted himself to Christianity. After his conversion, Hong burned all the books in his house that were either Confucian or Buddhist, probably because they either were against the Christian faith or they reminded him of the exams that he had failed. He also began his mission to convert others, starting off with the people closest to him, family and friends. When he had some followers by his side, Hong Xiuquan founded the Bai Shang Di Hui, or the God Worshippers Society, in the year 1844 a religious group following Hong Xiuquan's version of Christianity. The Bai Shang Di Hui developed its own twisted form of Christianity, focusing on the rejection of traditional Chinese culture, which they believe had been corrupted by the ruling Manchu government, and also that Hong Xiuquan, being the second son of God, was sent from heaven to help those oppressed rid the corruption and those so-called evil demons that were plaguing China. His form of Christianity focused more on the God in the Old Testament of the Bible, the one that punishes those who didn't obey him. Hong Xiuquan and his Bai Shang Di Hui group focused on converting people from rural communities, especially Hakka Chinese villages. The Hakka Chinese were largely marginalised and discriminated, and many of them hated the local people and the government as a result. Telling the Hakka villagers that they were being plagued by these demons and needed to rise up and fight, Hong Xiuquan utilised the feelings of hate and oppression of the Hakkas to convert many of them 
into his Bai Shang Di Hui group. Soon, entire families, clans, and villages began to convert, and by the year 1847, he had over 2,000 followers. In the year 1851, Hong Xiuquan and his leadership group, which included his friend Feng Yunshan, decided to rise and slay the evil, aka the ruling Manchu Qing government, once and for all. In a small village called Jintian, spelled J-I-N-T-I-A-N, Hong Xiuquan and Feng Yunshan amassed around 10,000 to 30,000 people who joined him to openly rebel against the Qing government. For the Hakka Chinese followers, it was an opportunity to finally fight against the government that had oppressed them for so many years. With an overwhelming dominance in numbers, Hong Xiuquan's army destroyed the local Qing army, and this event, the Jintian Uprising, marked the beginning of the Taiping Rebellion in 1851. Hong Xiuquan was so happy because after so many failures in life, the rebellion was a great success. Caught in that moment of euphoria, he declared himself as the heavenly king of the heavenly kingdom of peace in the year 1851. In Chinese, the heavenly kingdom of peace is translated to Taiping Tian Guo. And as you notice, the first part, Taiping, means peace, which is where the Taiping Rebellion gets its name. In the first few years of the rebellion, Hong Xiuquan and his Taiping soldiers were very successful, conquering many places in southern China, starting off from Guangxi and then moved north to the provinces in Hunan, Hubei, Jiangxi and Anhui, taking over major cities such as Wuchang and Anqing with ease. Many people, especially the poor, supported their cause as they also felt neglected by the Qing government. And as they were more poor than the rich, the Taiping armies grew quickly in size as they passed these southern Chinese regions, becoming an imposing threat to the Qing government. What also helped the rebels was the fact that the Qing dynasty army was weak. The two main Qing armies at the time, the Eight Banners and the Green Standard Army, were weak and lacking in basic fighting skills and military discipline. In the year 1853, two years after the Jintian uprising that began the rebellion, the rebels captured the city of Nanjing, an important city in southern China and one of the largest cities in the Qing Empire. Hong Xiuquan proclaimed this city as the capital of his Taiping Tianguo Heavenly Kingdom and renamed the city to Tianjing, T-I-A-N-J-I-N-G, which means in English, the heavenly capital. Now that the heavenly kingdom had a heavenly capital city, the next thing to do was give God's second son a palace. So in the city, they constructed a massive luxurious palace called the Tian Wang Fu, or the Palace of the Heavenly King. The palace was around 9 hectares in area, or around 4 football fields in size. Hong Xiuquan settled into his palace, looking at his tens and thousands of soldiers, and was mighty pleased at his efforts. I mean, just a while back, he had spent 10 plus years studying for those tests and failed each time, but this time, Within just two years, using the power of religion, 
he gathered a group of followers that would march and fight for him, to help him defeat those evil demons, and to help him become the emperor of a kingdom like no other. The Qing government, however, weren't that happy at all. Whilst northern China was firmly in the Qing's grasp, the Qing emperor was shaking in his boots, nervous at this huge threat from the south. It seemed as if these rebels were unstoppable, and that his days as the emperor of China were limited. So what were Hong Xiuquan and his Taiping rebels planning on doing next? How was the Qing government going to respond? Stay tuned for the next episode. Bye for now.